Hello, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? This podcast is a resource dedicated to those struggling with eating disorders. If you are struggling with an eating disorder or know someone who is, maybe a brother, sister, daughter, wife, we want to be here to provide resources and offer hope. I am Dina Lewis, and I'm here with my husband, co-host, Brian Lewis. We are not doctors, but we do come with more than 20 years history in dealing with eating disorders. Whether you found us on purpose or by mistake, whatever the case, we hope by the end of this episode, you have learned something, or at least if you are struggling, you do not feel alone. Hi, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? I'm Dina, and you've got me solo today, so I thought I'd give you guys a little bit more of a personal kind of in-depth about me and my struggles. So I was thinking today, what could I talk to you guys about? And I thought, well, you know, people think, oh, you have 20 plus years of recovery. You're good to go. You got it. You don't have any struggles really. And it must be a slice of heaven. Well, it's not. I mean, I have to say that it kind of comes and goes. I can go a long period of time and I have no problems and no struggles. And other times things just pop up and it's usually things that I'm not expecting So I thought I would talk about a little bit of the struggles that I still deal with today and tell you how I cope with them. So one of the first things is I still struggle with food from time to time. Just recently, my husband and I and some of our kids had to travel back to Utah to go to a funeral. Well, when you go back somewhere and you see family, that usually encompasses people taking you out to dinner and or going over to their house for meals. Sometimes that can bring on a lot of anxiety for me because I don't know what they're planning or preparing. It's not that I am necessarily afraid of eating the food. It's just I have no control over the food. So sometimes what I'll need to do is usually talk to Brian about it or someone. I'll reach out to somebody and address my fears. And then usually those fears aren't so scary to walking into the situation. And he always has my back. This time it was fine It's not like all eyes are on me. This isn't a new thing anymore, but we dealt with it. The other thing is we ended up going to this Mexican restaurant because that was somewhere my mother-in-law loved to go, and we did it after the funeral. And when I think Mexican food, I think huge plates of food, trying to figure out my food plan and how much of that is part of my food plan. Now, I've learned through the years that, you know, there's days that you eat a little bit more and there's days you eat a little bit less, so it all balances out in the end. But I'm not a big Mexican food eater, and I know it just comes on these big, huge plates. So Brian and I had had a discussion about how can I kind of determine what fits into my food plan and get enough protein and stuff like that, you know, in its more normal size. So we determined it. I found something to eat. It was fine. It was great. But I still have those struggles. There are times that I still struggle. I'm not a big person that goes out to eat a lot or a fast food person, and I never have been. So there have been days where I remember many, many years ago, my therapist told me to go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger and French fries, and I thought I was going to die, but I didn't. I made it through. I didn't understand what the big whoop was about, about McDonald's and stuff like that, but all I can say of my advice is if you're thinking about something and contemplating it over and over in your head, it's probably something that you need to face. And usually it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. I still struggle in relationships. 
Now, my relationship with my husband is much better than it was when we were first married and the eating disorder was on a rampage. Before then, it was like two ships passing in the night. We didn't have much of a relationship. Everything was about me and food. But now we have a very good relationship where I know when to share with him and when not to and when I need to go to somebody else and talk to someone else about it. And, you know, I think it's good. I think the relationships that I still struggle with are my family. For example, when growing up, my dad was not around a lot. I don't remember ever going on a vacation with my dad and my mom and I would go to many places throughout the years. I don't remember him really being home many evenings. And so I never had a really close relationship with my dad. Now that he's passed and my mom has passed, it was interesting to me that my mom died of cancer first. And I always thought if my mom would keep going before my dad would, because my dad smoked and stuff, but it was the reverse. My mom died first and then my dad. And I remember thinking, what am I going to have to say to him? Because I really hadn't built a relationship there. I blamed a lot of that on myself because, you know, early on, my mom reminded me that she knew on her wedding day that she shouldn't have married my dad. I don't think she realized what an awkward position that put me in. It just made me feel from that point, maybe I wasn't meant to be here. And was I made from love or was I just made from convenience? I still struggle with that today. But I know now I can look at it and say that was their relationship. I had nothing to do with it. But I do struggle. I think I've always wanted that really close bond with my brothers. And because the age gap is so big, that never happened. I regret it a lot. I feel like the person I was closest or most like was my brother that passed away early on. But I kind of grew up in that era of the Brady Bunch, you know, and the brothers and sisters love each other. And that's just not realistic. But that's what I saw and what I liked. And I still miss that. I think our relationship is better the farther away I am. And that sounds weird. But once we moved out of state and we moved to Utah in like 2014, I think we got closer because we were farther away from one another, maybe appreciated each other more. But anyway, I do struggle with some relationships and I've had to set boundaries because not all of them understood what I went through. I think I placed one of my brothers in my life, took that fatherly role for me. And should I have done that? I'm not sure, but he did a great job at it. But then again, I look at him more as a father than I do a brother sometimes. Other things I struggle with are weight. When I first got into Monacatini and the other treatment centers, they would weigh me, but I'd always have to stand backwards on the scale. And so I never saw the number. So that was freaky because I didn't even know until like the end of my stay, towards the end of the seven months I was there, what my goal weight was. I had a picture of what I wanted it to be, but it wasn't realistic. Since then, there was one time, and I think it was a Christmas day, and I think I had already come home from treatment. I was weighing myself like once a week with Brian, and I did a stupid thing, and I jumped back on the scale. He heard it. And he was just so mad, madder than I expected him to be, just because I had broken his trust at that point. And from that point on, I think the only time I really weighed myself was when I got pregnant, if I needed to weigh myself at home at some point. But it was like he was always there with me, and then we'd take 
the scale and put it on the ground, you know, and then we'd take the bag of sugar that weighed five pounds to calibrate the scale to make sure it was right. But since that day, I have not gotten on a scale in probably over 20 years, maybe 30 years, because the number just messes with my mind. Even 20-something years later, it messes with my mind. I recently just went to the doctor, and I have to tell them and let them know when I get on the scale, I just close my eyes, and I just tell them, like, I don't want to know the number. Because if I don't, sometimes I just blurt it out. And you'd think by now that I could understand that, but it does no good to me to have that number in my head. I just play around with it. I think, holy cow, it takes me in a turmoil where I'm just thinking like about food and what I shouldn't eat or what I should, or is it normal and it doesn't feel normal, no matter what it is, because that number is never low enough. I mean, it could be 90 pounds and I would still think that's really heavy. Today, do I think that? Not necessarily. But the number on the scale determines usually my mood for the day, how I act, how I think about myself, and it's just not a healthy place for me to be. So I do not have a scale in my house. And like I said, if I have to get on one, I just tell whoever's taking my weight just not to tell me anything. And they kind of usually look at me funny, but I just tell them like, hey, I'm a recovering anorexic and I just, I don't need to know the number. And sometimes they write it down on that little piece of paper that they give you at the end. And usually I just crumple it up and just throw it away because sometimes I get that temptation to look at it, but I just don't want to. I know it's not worth it. Another thing I deal with as well is, what is my purpose? I've wondered that for a long time. You know, I grew up in a family. We were Christian, but we weren't really like day-to-day Christians. We didn't go to church all the time. But my oldest brother was a missionary. He and my two older brothers actually did quite a bit with Bible studies in our house and all that kind of stuff. And then my mom was the head of the nursing department at a local college And my dad owned his own business. And I remember thinking as a kid that I I wanted to be a mom, not just a mom. And I wanted to have kids. And that was very important to me. But I noticed that the more that I wanted that, that if I would go in and have a discussion, what is people, some of the things that people ask you right away is, what do you do for a living? They're looking like doctor, nurse, secretary, whatever. And I would answer it being a mother. Now, Mind you, it is, to me, the hardest job there is, because when you're a mother, you're a cleaner, you cook, you're a taxi driver, you're dealing with kids and homework, and there's a variety of things that you're doing, and you're balancing everything. But it just didn't always seem like, was I put on this earth to be a mother, or what was my deal? Well, until we really started this podcast, I kind of found my niche, I guess you say, and I would think, like, I feel the most comfortable when I'm talking to other people and trying to help others understand eating disorders and giving support to others, because I feel like it's something I really know. It's touched my life, and it was something that only I did. And I really feel special that I can do this and share this with all of you. I guess I talked about my family and stuff, but again, my family is probably my biggest struggle because sometimes I feel invisible. Sometimes I feel like You know, if I wasn't to call them, they wouldn't call me. And sometimes it really hurts. And I feel like when I lost my mom, I really lost the person that cared about me the most. And that's a true fact. I'm grateful for my recovery. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Again, I think I said it earlier in this recording, but 
people can assume that I've got it all together because I don't look sick, but I still have those little voices that come into my head telling me things like, well, don't have that, or what if you do this? And I have to be the one that says, shut the F up. If you're one of those people and you're really struggling and your kids have been in treatment and you're wondering, like, why is this still happening and why does it seem like they're doing so well in treatment and then we get home and it doesn't seem as good going as well, there's ebbs and flows. There's times where I'm doing great and there's times where I'm having a really hard time. But the only thing I can say is, like, usually a treatment center will teach you and give you tools to use for when you get home. And some of those tools that I was given were journaling, were picking up the phone and talking to somebody, maybe getting a sponsor at an AA meeting or an OA meeting. Those really help. If you have to get to a meeting and you have to go to them, they're out throughout the day and you can find out what time they are. I know during COVID, they were having them online and I thought it was great. I just want to say that that first year of recovery or first couple years of recovery, I think is really important to be selfish. And I think it's kind of interesting that using the word selfish, because I think that's what I was in my disease. I was so selfish. But now you have to look at it and say selfish in a way that you have to put your recovery first and relationships and everything else needs to go to the side. You really have to get to as many meetings as you can you know, Al-Anon meetings for parents to go to. Even if there's not many people in the meeting, it's still a meeting. If there's two people there, it's a meeting. You don't have to have 10, 15 people in there. But I will tell you from experience that when I first got home, I was going to some AA meetings. And because there weren't as many OA meetings for Overeaters Anonymous. So I remember them finding out that I was a recovering anorexic and they told me I had to leave. Well, some of them told me I had to leave. And then other ones stood up and said, she belongs here. The only thing I can tell you is that if you go to a AA meeting, maybe just listen to the messages that are being said. Don't share. But listen, because you, all you have to do is replace, whether it's alcohol, drugs, food, you replace it with what you use to get through and control. But the message is still the same. I want to thank you guys so much for listening, this was a little scary of a podcast for me today because I rely on my husband a lot and he helps me through so much. And to do this by myself took a little bit of, uh, I don't know, (laughs) guts. Again, I want to thank everybody for listening. And I want to ask everybody, you know, if you have a few nickels or dimes or quarters or a couple bucks to share to keep this podcast going, we would love it. We don't know how long we can keep it going, but if you guys can, we did get a Patreon or you can go to eatthatfat at gmail.com and please leave comments. Let us know what you're going to hear more of because we get on here and I'm like, what do you guys want to hear about? Do you have questions for us that you would like us to answer? Please leave it in the comment section so we can know what you guys need to hear or what you need to hear more of. But we really appreciate everything you guys do and Hopefully we'll have Brian back on as my co-host the next time for the next episode. Have a great day and we'll close it with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it. You are worth it, each one of you. Bye.
Thank you for joining us. If you found this podcast useful or we have given you hope and you want to reach out and contribute, feel free to do so at eatthatfat at gmail.com. That's eatthatfat at gmail.com. Our pledge to you is that every penny that we get in contributions goes to production costs and keeping the lights on. We will not pay ourselves, but anything above and beyond production costs will go to benefit organizations that specialize in eating disorders. Please reach out to us if you need resources or you just need to talk. You are not alone and there are people who care. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it. You are worth it. Thank you.